0: Remember, the sermon series, we're looking at how to live a fearless life in a fearful world. And it is a fearful world we live in, isn't it? Uh, things are changing at a rapid rate. So what does it mean to live fearlessly? We're going to look at Joshua 3, which is the Israelites crossing over the Jordan River to go and attack the city of Jericho. Joshua 3, 1-17. through Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shaddai. And they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, As soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about two thousand cubits in length. Do not come near it, in order that you may know the way that you shall go. For you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so will I be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you, and He will without fail drive out from you before the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over you, before you, into the Jordan. Now therefore take twelve men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming from above shall stand in one heap. When the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan, with the the priests bearing the ark of the covenant before the people. And as soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water. Now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of the harvest. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap, very far away, at Adam, the city that is beside Zarephath. And those flowing down toward the Sea of Arabah and the Salt Sea were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground, until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. The word of the Lord. Well, the athletic journey begins today. Super Bowl Sunday. Anybody going to watch that? Yes. Absolutely. It's going to be a great time, isn't it? Anybody eat junky food on Super Bowl Sunday? (laughs) We have a long-standing tradition of eating garbage on Super Bowl Sunday. No, no. We're trying to be healthier, yet we're getting blowback from the kids. Where is the Velveeta cheese block with whatever's inside of it? Uh, we have a bit of a tradition where we put all of our sofas together and we make what we call Thunderdome. And we all pile in the sofas and we watch the Super Bowl together and eat bad food. Mine's going to be a great time. You know, the, uh, the uh, You know, we've got the it's a it's a twofer though, isn't it? Because we've got the Super Bowl and then the Olympics are coming up. Yeah. I love the Olympics. You know, now they have like five channels, so you can see everything. You know, all the curling until your heart's content. Even the qualifying rounds. Zimbabwe versus Kenya in curling. <laughs> I don't know. You know, but it, it's interesting. You know, the Olympics. It's fascinating to watch these athletes perform at this high level. But you know, for me, maybe it's the old argument, I don't know, I, I want to know more about their stories. You know, what's the story behind these people, how they got to this place where they're competing at this kind of level. You know, and as you learn about these athletes, you'll discover almost invariably, somewhere along the way, these guys or gals, they got a vision for their life. They got a vision for what could be, and the vision became so strong in their mind that they were willing to sacrifice you know it says you have to at least uh, put about 10,000 hours of training into anything before you can even get to that base level of being an expert and somewhere along the way what we discovered is there's a tremendous amount of sacrifice tremendous amount of giving a tremendous amount of a thousand little deaths that had to die in order to get to this point of victory. Often it's a vision, not necessarily even that that person had for their own life, but that their parents had for them. I don't know if you know the story of Apollo Anton Ono, a uh, fascinating character. He was raised, his father was a, a Japanese-American, his name was Yuki. Yuki Ono, he was a hairstylist, Yuki, Yuki's Diffusions was the name of his hairstylist. And he divorced his wife uh, when uh, Apollo was two. And so Yuki took all the responsibilities. Mom moved away, and it was Yuki, a single father, raising his son. And there was no extended family. So it was basically Yuki and his son Apollo, and he was working 12-hour days and trying to figure out, how do I watch over my son? How do I provide for him? And yet, at the same time, make sure that he stays off the streets. And he realized the way to do that was athletics. And so we got Apollo involved with athletics from an early age, Apollo was a champion swimmer, I don't know if any of you knew that, he was a a very, very, very good swimmer. Uh, But he got got interested in skating, and so Yuki got him involved with a uh, coach and with a program in in Washington. Uh, And he would speed skate after school. Yuki was, was, uh, was absolutely focused on making sure that Apollo had the right trainers, he had the right teachers. He was with the right crowd. In many ways, he lived for his son, making sure that the vision he had for his son would come to fruition. And Apollo was grateful and thankful. You know the story of how he how he flourished as a speed skater. You know, in my experience, there's only two reasons that people change. Only two reasons that people change. Number one, it's disgust. They look in the mirror. They look at their life and they say, you know what, I don't want to live like this anymore. Somewhere a switch goes off and they get a vision for a life that's different than the life that they're living now. But the second is desire. You see something. You maybe hear a speech or a sermon or you catch a vision from somebody else. It plants a seed of desire in their heart that grows and bears fruition. And what you'll see with these folks is the seed that is planted in them. The vision from another has led them on this journey of a thousand little deaths. But will they make it? It's the same question we have for Israel, isn't it? Here's a group of people who's on a journey. visions vision's been given to them, and not by themselves. They were a simple people, Abraham, a nomadic tribe, wandering, and God appeared to them. And said, I will take you and I will make you my own. I will make you into a nation that is great and strong. You will dispossess other nations and through you the whole world will be blessed. So get up and go. And I will lead you to a land flowing with milk and honey. And so they had to make that decision to leave what they had to go embrace what they didn't. And God has led them on this vision all the way through slavery in Egypt all the way through 40 years of wandering in the desert. And now they stand on the precipice of the Jordan with the promised land on the other side. Will they go across? Will they go into the life that God has planned for them? Same question that we have for us today. The question of Israel isn't really just about Israel. It's about you and me. God has a vision for your life. He has a picture of where He wants you to go. Indeed, even a picture of this church. It's over there. So the question is, will we follow? Are we willing to die a thousand little deaths in order to meet the vision that God has for us? There's one thing I've discovered in life is this, that the way to life goes through death. The path to freedom starts when we surrender ourselves to Jesus Christ. The most important issue in your life that you have to answer, the most important question, is who you will give your life to. Because there is death and there is life. There is no other. And the way to life goes through death. And so in order to find the life that God has for you and me to live, we must die to the life that we have now going to do three things with these Israelite people in this story. Number one, he's going to take them on a journey. God has a journey for them, and God has a journey for us. Number two, God has a leader for these people, and God has a leader for us. Finally, God has a choice for Israel, and God has a choice for us. The most important issue in your life, my friends, is who you will give your life too. So let's look at this journey that God is calling the Israelites to. We're in verse 3. If you remember last week, a little bit of a recap. God, uh, Joshua has sent out spies to check out the land. They have gone, Rahab, the prostitute, who looked at life and said, I'm with these guys. Has taken her life in her hand. They have come back. They've given a report. The land melts in fear. It is ours to take. And so Joshua mobilizes the people. It's time to go. And so in verse 2 and 3, they, we see that they have them go and they camp near uh, the edge of the Jordan. Now this is the first test. See, before they can get to Jericho, they have to get through the Jordan. And the Jordan is right now at flood stage. Okay, what does that mean? The word Jordan actually means descender or descend the corner. And that's because the Jordan is one of the steepest rivers out there. It starts uh, at Mount Hermon, which is about 9,000 feet in the sky, and it ends at the Dead Sea, which is about 1,400 feet below sea level, in about a space of 65 miles. But it's actually winding; it's actually about 200 miles from this distance of 65 miles. So every mile, it's nine feet down. The water just keeps coming. And right now at this flood stage, the, the widest point actually where they're, where they are it, it is the widest point of the Jordan River. God has led them not to the ford but to the very widest place where the water is probably uh, probably about a football field and a half, 150 yards of flowing water, the descender at flood stage. I don't know if you've ever seen a flood before, I grew up in Texas. You there'd be dry land and then all of a sudden, boom, there is flotsam and there is jetsam and there's driftwood and there's weeds and there's roots of trees and there is just a mass. And so here are these people staring at this descender, this, this vicious column of water, thinking to themselves, how are they going to get across? See, it's an impossible task that God has taken them to, hasn't it? I mean, if if not taking the city of Jericho, these walled cities, how do you stop? How do you come up against a being like that? Nature itself. See, God has done this for a reason. Because God wants them to examine the options of how they are to live before they move into battle. See, they really have three options one, they can give up, two, they can get mad. Or three, they can get their eyes on the one who was called them to cross. When you think about it, the Israelites were there 40 years earlier, weren't they? And yet they were turned away. They went to the desert. Who defeated them the first time? Was it the Canaanites? Was it the Jebusites? Was it the Parasites? No, it wasn't. Was it the Parasites? <laughs> uh, was it somebody? I don't know. No, it wasn't people. Was it the Jordan River? No, it wasn't you know who defeated the Israelites 40 years before? <laughs> Israel defeated Israel 40 years. The issue is not what's out there. The issue is what's in here. And so God leads them to the edge of the river Jordan. Before they can conquer the Canaanites, they must conquer the Jordan. And before they can conquer the Jordan, they must conquer themselves. The way they win this battle is a thousand little deaths. And this is the first big one. So God gives the instruction, follow me. Verse 3, as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. As soon as you see this Ark of the Covenant, remember the Ark of the Covenant It's the presence of God. God says, build this Ark and I will be enthroned above the cherubim in the mercy seat. My presence will go with you. And so God is saying, as soon as you see my presence move before you, you shall set out and follow it. And I will be going straight into the Jordan River. Follow me. Watch me. Because I know the way. Notice what it says. You've never gone this way. You don't know the way to go. You have no idea to get where I'm calling you. The only way you can find it is by following me. So you must fix close to me. But, you must also have a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. It's about a half mile. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Why does God command this distance between him and the ark? Certainly because the ark is holy. It is the presence of God. But there are other times when the people are, are, are near the ark. God says these are the people who can carry it. The reason is this. If you have hundreds of thousands of people, you have to have enough distance back to be able to see the ark, right? You have to see it walking toward the Jordan River, and you need to be able to see the (laughs) Jordan River parting. If everybody's following this thing close, and everybody's right on the edge, the people people get crushed. And so God says, step back, watch and see what it is that I am about to do. If you put me far enough in front of you where you can keep your eyes on me, I will lead you. Follow me. But God also says this, in order to follow me, you must unfollow the world. Listen to what he says, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Word consecrate literally means holyize yourself, set yourself apart, disconnect yourself from being like everybody else, like the world. And there was a process of consecration. God had given it in their in their uh, that they were to bathe, that they were to clean themselves, that they were to put on their best clothing, that they were to care for their things, that they were to (laughs) abstain from sexual relations. They were to consecrate themselves, to give themselves wholly to God. See, what God is saying is, if you're going to hold on to me, you're going to have to let go of this. This is on this side of the Jordan. I'm on this side. Follow me. If you want to be like me, you need to do what I have done. If you want to go to the life that I have for you, you are going to have to die. See, it's the ephemeral question: Do you trust me? I remember being on a camping trip uh, when I was at UVA with some buddies of mine. The Appalachian Trail is only about an hour and a half away from Charlottesville, and we had gone up, and uh, we were going into. Um, it was called Doyle's River Falls. It's a place where you can get off on the Blue uh, Ridge Parkway and you hike down to these falls. That literally, it's a waterfall. about 30 feet over you have this beautiful cascading water so myself and ten of my most favorite friends got our backpacks and everything and off we went down to Doyle's River Falls and it was a pretty challenging hike down toward the water and uh, we made it there and it was getting kind of you know it's time to pitch 10 so we're all setting up and uh, we all of a sudden hear this scream thinking to myself, what is that And lo and behold, we go and one of our hikers, Jeff Burton, a friend of mine who played baseball for UVA, has gotten caught in the current and fallen over Doyle's River Falls. And he has busted open his head, and he has a nasty, nasty, nasty cut right here. He is not doing well. It's a testament to his physical shape that he survived that fall. And so he's down here in this valley, down at the bottom of the falls, and we've got to get him to a hospital right away. Who is it to take him? How are we going to get this guy out? And as we process this, we realize there are two people that can lead him. The first was another friend of ours, Jeff Doyle, who was an immensely strong guy. Really, I mean, if anyone had the ability to hold this guy out, it was Jeff. And it was my roommate, Steve Carter, who was now Dr. Steve Carter who knew medicine, and he was uh, on the rescue squad, and he was able to give the treatment. But you see, Jeff had to make the decision, I'm, I'm in trouble. I've got to entrust myself to someone who's going to get me out of this, or I may <laughs> die up here on these falls. And he looked at his situation, and he looked at Jeff, and he looked at Steve, and said, let's go. And so they were able to pack this guy out back to UVA, to the hospital, Charlottesville Hospital, fantastic plastic surgeon there, the guy looks like a million dollars. See, he faced death and life. He tried to get across the water, and he couldn't do it. It's all about who he was choosing to follow. And along came his friends and said, follow me, I will lead you to life. I know the path. You can't get there on your own. In the same way as God has a path for the Israelites, God has a path for you. It's God who's found you. It's God who's come to bring you to a land flowing with milk and honey. A land where there is peace. The land that you're looking for with all of your heart. The land where God dwells. And he says, you don't know how to get there. You can't cross this river. You've never been here before. Say for yourself, you'll never, ever make it across. And so what God says is, follow me. Watch me. I'm going to lead you on a journey. It's not going to be easy. In fact, I'll probably lead you right to the widest place to cross. Because I want you to understand that I am greater than impossible. But you can't understand that until I take you to the impossible. So God comes to you and He comes to me and He says, Obey me. Step far enough back and watch. I don't know about you, but if I'm honest, I have no idea how to live my life. I don't know how to be the father that I'm supposed to be. I don't know how to be the husband I'm supposed to be. I don't know how to be the pastor I'm supposed to be. I don't know how to live the life that God has called me to live. Now, for most most of my life, in fact, even now, I've got my plan that I'm working on. You may have your own set of blueprints, you know? This is how I'm going to accomplish it. Always kind of writing it down and scheming it. I've got it all worked out, you know? This is the perfect life, perfect family, perfect car, perfect kid, perfect reputation, perfect community. And you may be working your plan. And you may be washing through the Jordan River and you think that you may be able to make it guess what, there's another one right after you just can't see it yet life is difficult eventually it becomes impossible why? because we all die God says I have the ability to take you through death and out on the other side to life I have the ability to take you from death to life from danger to peace from despair to hope. But you're going to have to let go. You're going to have to focus your eyes on something. See, God says, if you're going to follow me, you have to be willing to put all of your heart and all of your attention on me because I can lead you through death to life. God has given us a journey. And if you are on the journey of the Christian life, it's a journey of impossibility. Where more and more, hopefully, every day you're learning to let go of yourself and focus on God. And He's drawing you more and more to Himself, where you can laugh at the impossible. Because with God, all things are possible. Are you on the journey? Are you made a decision? It starts when you say, I'm willing to die to myself, so I can embrace the life that you have for me. God has a journey for us. But God, this brings me to my second point, also has a leader for us. We live in a world of failed leaders, don't we? I don't know about you, but it's very hard to see a concept. It's much easier to see a person who can get me to that concept. You know, it's out there. And that's why leaders are so important. There's always a leader. We follow leaders whether we believe it or not. Whether it's in fashion or in industry, in our clothes, and our lifestyle. You know, it's gonna cost four million dollars for every 30 seconds of airtime for the Super Bowl coming up. I'm a little surprised about this, but no one asked me to be a spokesman for their product. I don't understand. Why? I, exactly, thank you, son. You know, the reason why we buy Air Jordans is because Jordan is the one who's pushing him, right? The reason I'm going to buy this soda is because Scarlett Johansson is the one who's selling it. Scarlett Johansson. Sorry, I had to do that. Anyone in the middle? Nobody's in. the configuration. The reason I buy Jaguar is because Ben Kingsley is the one who's pushing Jaguar. See, these guys are leaders in their particular field. They're saying, follow me and I'll lead you to what it is that you're looking for. But it is dangerous to be a leader in the year 2014, isn't it? I remember talking to my friend Scott Ridgel and he said, I don't know why anyone who's not insane would choose to run for government. I mean, it is the gauntlet. It is going through the Jordan River at flood stage. Because people are so willing to literally tear you down, whatever it takes. We're like a bunch of crabs in a pot. You know how you keep crabs in a pot? You don't even, you don't even need to put a lid. Someone said, kill them. I like that spirit. No. You don't have to put a, a top on them. Because when one tries to climb out, the other ones will just grab him and bring them down. They'll never get out. They keep bringing them down again and again. To be a leader is to rise above. It's dangerous to be a leader. But without leaders, there is no victory. That's why in Joshua 3.7, the Lord says to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. The purpose of this miracle, my friends, is not just to get the Israelites across the Jordan. The purpose is to exalt jo- uh, Joshua. Because God knows that there will be more and more battles to be fought. More and more dreams to be believed. And they must have confidence in their leader. And so God is taking this and illustrating it, using this illustrating it as an illustration to show this is the man who I have appointed to you to lead this people. In fact, the scripture in the Hebrew says this, unless Joshua does this, they won't get it, so that they may know. So listen to what he says. He says, today, I will begin to exalt. Today, now is the time when I'm going to put my stamp of leadership on you, Joshua. As far as we can tell, God hasn't spoken to Joshua since the beginning, when he said, go ahead and take some spies and send them. You're going to be the leader. Today, I will begin to exalt. True leadership, true spiritual leadership does not come from below, it comes from above. It is God who exalts Joshua. Joshua can't part the the River Jordan. Are you kidding me? He's a normal guy like you and me. He may even be a good guy, but he's a guy, he's a human. But God says, Today, I will begin to exalt you. I'm going to lift you up in the sight of everyone. As I've told this entire nation to step back, to show the ark in the sight of everyone, so I will show you in the sight of everyone as the exalted leader that I have lifted up so that they may know that I will be with you. A human leader being used to show that God is with his people. See, there's one thing to know the way, my friends, but there's an entirely different thing to walk into. How do we get there? How do we get to this life that we hear about as I preach in the pulpit? How do we get to this life that's in our heart that we know that God has called us to? We don't need just a way. We need a leader to get us there. Joshua was the leader for this time. This was in the last verse, one of the last verses of the book of Joshua, Joshua 24. It says, Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him, and who had experienced everything the Lord had done for Israel. The book ends of Joshua's life, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And Israel served the Lord. Joshua was faithful. The most important issue in your life is who you give your life to. Who is the leader that you are following that is going to get you to the promised land? Remember these qualifications. A true leader is called. How many leaders have you followed in your life who weren't called? Who led you right off the ditch? A true leader is equipped. Takes more than simply a rousing voice. Takes more than some skill. It takes someone who has the tools necessary. If you're going to take an impossible trip, you better have a leader with impossible gifts. It takes a true leader, is one who goes ahead. <clears throat> he goes before. That's why he's called a leader and not a follower. And a true leader lays down his life. This is my favorite quote on leadership. This is a Welsh proverb. He who would be a leader must be a bridge. That's what a leader is. A leader lays down their life so that one person can get from this place to the other. Who is the leader who's going to take you on this impossible journey? I was blessed with great parents, but they can't get me on this journey to the other side. I've had great pastors, but they can't do it either. I need a leader who has been called, equipped, Goes ahead and lays down his life. The leader that God has given to you and me, His people, is Jesus Christ. Remember John the Baptist. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Hebrews one one. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets, and many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through Him He made the universe. Jesus was the one equipped. To lead his people because he is God of God, the gifts of God, the Word of God, the power of God, the strength of God, God incarnate. Jesus was the one who went ahead of us, led into the desert, 40 days without food, being tempted by Satan, and yet proving himself impervious. The one who laid down his life, a thousand little deaths of obedience, and one great death. On the cross, a true leader lays down his life. And Jesus said, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground, it does not die, but if it does, it produces produce a harvest. It is God who is the bridge in Jesus Christ, leading us from death to life. It is Jesus who can lead us into the Jordan River. Under it and out on the other side to the land that God has called for us. Jesus died one big death that we might have one big life. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. I have in my hands the hundred most significant leaders in history, according to Time Magazine. The list goes on and on and on. In fact, I'll narrow it down just to the 100 most influential people of the 20th century in terms of leaders and revolutionaries. Some of them we admire. Martin Luther King, Nelson Mandela, Theodore Roosevelt. What about Ho Chi Minh? What about Adolf Hitler? What about Vladimir Lenin? What about Ayatollah Ruhollah Khomeini? The list reads on great, famous, and infamous, all great leaders, some great and terrible. We're going to have to follow a leader. Sooner or later, as you get older, you realize that you can't quite find the way. The path gets brushed out. The, water, the flood comes and brushes it away. And so, who will we follow? God has only given us one leader that leads to life. The one who He sent, the Messiah, the Anointed One, Jesus Christ. He is the one that has the power to bring us from death to life. And so we must give our life over to His death. God has a journey for us to follow. He has a leader for us to follow. And He has a choice for us to make. Look at verse Joshua. 310, excuse me, 311, 312. Behold, the Ark of the Covenant is now passing. Take these men, and when the souls of the priests bearing the Ark of the Lord shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down shall stand in one heap up above. And so the priests come. You know, think about it if you're one of the priests, right? You're carrying this enormously heavy gold box And you're walking toward the River Jordan at flood stage. The only way you're going to know this thing is going to work is if you're going to put your foot in the raging waters. Now the way it speaks, it sounds like it's plural. In other words, you all got to do it. So they walk and they have a decision. Do we trust what we see? Or do we trust the leader that God has given us? You know, Peter wasn't the first person to walk on the water, was he? It was these guys. And the scripture records that as they stepped into the water, the water receded up in a heap, up, way a distance away. And they went and they walked out, and lo and behold, where's the brush? Where's all the detritus? Where's the flotsam? Where's the jetsam? Shouldn't they be mired in mud? No, the scripture says it's dry ground. And they stood there as the people walked by inside See, there's a choice to make in this situation. God doesn't force Himself on anyone. He says, I brought you to a land flowing with milk and honey. It's out there, but it's in here right now. You will continue to have challenges in this life, you will. There will be impossible streams to pour. The issue isn't what's in front of you, just like the issue wasn't the Jordan for the Israelites. The issue is right here. Who am I going to follow? How do I know what God wants me to do? He's told us. He's told us to have confidence in Him, to trust in Him with all His heart, to obey His words, to seek counsel from your pastor, from your church, but to take a step of faith. You only know life when you've given up your life. You only know what it means to experience the promised land when you've walked down into the raging waters. The call of the gospel is a call to come and live. And the way we live is by dying. It's a thousand little deaths. It's when you go home and the decision you have to make an hour from now. But it starts with one big one. Who will my leader be? Who will be the one who I will follow?
1: The most important
0: issue in your life, my friends, is who to you give your life to Christ. And in order to find the life God has for you to live, you must die to the life that you have now. I'm more excited about my Christianity than I've been in quite some time. You know, sometimes God just gives you more energy. I'm excited about this church story, it's not just about you, it's about us. We have our own Jordan, don't we? Do we take a step of faith? Do we reach outside of our four walls? Do we choose to love recklessly? Do we choose to get involved with each other's lives, or do we keep this thing all about business and enjoying one another and then we just do church rather than being a church? I don't want to stay on that side of the Jordan. I want to be on that side. I want you guys to be with me, but I'm not getting in that water unless you are too. See, if we're going to go, we go together. And so we must encourage one another. We must speak the gospel to one another. We must help each other see the destination that God has for us. We must lift up the leader, Jesus Christ. And we must walk step by step together, and we will be the ones that are singing along the journey. You know, the great thing about when you look at these guys, these saints, they were ordinary guys just like you and me. They're ordinary women. And yet, for some reason, they're in a jail cell and they're singing in the middle of the night. Why? Because they're experiencing victory in the midst of defeat. And you will experience life in the midst of death. You lay down your life for one another, for the gospel, you your Savior. That's when you'll find Let's pray. Lord, you are the God of the impossible. Lord, you came to us and you called us on a journey. From slavery to freedom, from death to life, from nothing to plenty, from despair to hope. Lord, help us to see the destination. Help us to let go of the petty things that we so desperately grasp on. You. Help us to jettison the leaders, the would-bes, the critics. Help us to grab hold of you, the one who has been ordained by God to lead us Death to life. And help us to die a thousand little deaths together, singing along the way as we give up our life and simultaneously find it in the of the church. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.